Hello guys and welcome back to episode number 17 of the Do The Work podcast. This is James again and today I would like to welcome a very special guest. And this is someone that you may not be familiar with within the fitness industry, but he is someone that you definitely need to know. And that is Mr. Angus Bradley. Angus is a very experienced coach from Sydney that specialises in strength and conditioning and Olympic lifting. He also specialises in coaching for fat loss, but wants to steer more away from that and more towards the sporting performance side of things. I won't be a spoiler, but this is an extremely refreshing episode as we talk everything from breathing for optimal health and performance to the importance of training casts from a performance perspective. I like to think of Angus as the coach that is an advocate of the unsexy exercises that make the sexy exercises better. Now, we had to accommodate for this episode and do it in the morning to allow for the time difference. I would say that the 11 a.m. beers were worth it though. So sit back and enjoy the show. Good morning, everyone, or good evening if you're watching this from the other side of the world. Uh, welcome back to another episode of a Northerner, Southerner, and an Irishman all walk into a live. And this time we have the pleasure of running into an Aussie. Mr. Angus Bradley, how are you, sir? Good, thanks. What's going on, guys? Yeah, very good, thank you. So everyone who doesn't know, Angus um, lives in Australia, in Sydney, Inner West, is it? Uh, I'm at my girlfriend's place in the Inner West. I actually am based in God's country, aka Manly. Nice, nice. Um, and yeah, and for those who don't, I'm sure you do. You've seen in my post, Angus is actually my coach and has been for 12 weeks. Um, Angus, do you want to give us a little bit of a background and run around as to who you are? Uh, so I'm a personal trainer based out of Sydney. I host a podcast. I guess it's a fitness slash sports show. I'm just a general fan of the human condition. Uh, my background is I've played pretty much every sport under the sun and failed at it. Uh, and then that's sort of what inspired me to get into fitness because I realized I could actually sort of, you know, improve my own performance and then got into helping friends. And then uh, I think now I've spent about five years as a personal trainer. Yeah. No, brilliant. And um, yeah, Angus, you've had the absolute pleasure of on your show. It's not just any podcast. You've had Martin McDonald, I know, and Justin Gatlin, two, you know, obviously well-known people. Um, so yeah, it's great because you have that sort of performance side as well as um, fat loss. So that's great. And, you know, let's go through. So I know you're, everyone who doesn't know, Angus is my sort of weightlifting coach as well as almost business coach as well. Uh, how much can you squat, clean and jerk and snatch? Uh, so back squatted 190 kilos, I've clean and jerked 140 kilos, snatched 110 off blocks, and I have pulled a disgusting 240 kilo deadlift at yes. one point. <laughs> yeah. And that's but uh, back like into a bit more surfing these days, a bit more of that aloha energy, chilled out a bit more. Yeah. And uh, I like to think of you, mate, as this is why, so I've been following you for a while, and I remember the first time that I saw you on Instagram was uh, I came across your podcast with Sean McGuinness where Sean McGuinness nice. said, you know, corn, corn flakes were actually made to decrease people's sex drive. And that went quite big. Um, and then yeah. I also loved your, your perspective on the squat, not just being sagittal. Yeah. Yeah, which everyone thinks it's just sagittal, but there is, all, it's like a tri-plane movement effectively. Uh, I, I was actually chatting about this with um, Jamie Smith on my podcast today. And well, this isn't really our idea. I deep down believe that there is only one plane of motion and two movements uh which we can actually get down to later like obviously it's more complex than that but you, everything can actually be reduced just to those two things 
Yeah, no, brilliant. And lastly, yeah, I just like to think of your the way you sort of angle your um, coaching method is, you know, you really highlight the unsexy exercises that make the sexy exercises better that everyone should be doing, which is why yeah. this is going to be such a refreshing episode, um, you know, breathing and all that. So we're not going to delve into it too much now. Obviously, we're going to ask questions. Um, but yeah, I'll let the boys fire away with their first question. James, if you want to ask yours, mate. Yeah, thanks for doing the podcast, Angus. Um, no worries. Like, I think, and I think Dale is in a similar situation, even Krabby as well, that most of our clients are just like gen pop clients that, um, you know, want to lose a little bit of fat. And I think you tend, we tend to focus a lot on, you know, nutrition and, you know, getting steps up, things like that. And maybe don't go into enough detail on the likes of breathing and maybe even, you know, core stability on exercises. But one thing that crops up a lot, because I work with a lot of females, is the pelvic floor. And, and I know you're massive on breathing, so this is going to be super interesting for me. The relationship sort of between breathing and pelvic floor health for females, especially maybe ones that, you know, are pregnant or are postpartum. Okay. Yeah, awesome question. Um, so obviously you have, everyone knows the diaphragm is really, really important for breathing. Uh, I feel like some people really struggle to sort of visualize what the diaphragm is. And it's just like this big sheath of muscle that separates your lungs and your heart and then from sort of the rest of your guts. And then below all your guts, you have your pelvic floor, or as I prefer to call it, your pelvic diaph diaphragm. And Ideally, like we're always talking about this stacked position. Uh, and that is, you know, when essentially you've got these two domes directly stacked over each other and then they kind of operate like a piston in a cylinder. Um, and now if you, you know, let's go into like the stereotypical female presentation in terms of posture. Uh, they usually uh, typically have that, uh, we wouldn't say excessive lumbar lordosis, but a little bit more prone to that like let's call it the Kardashian ass posture. So then you've got this piston in a cylinder thing, but then you've oriented it into like that, right? So where's the pressure going to go? When the diaphragm descends and it's oriented this way, it's going to put pressure that way. And at the end, of that's where the pelvic outlet is. And so, you know, a lot of people who can't laugh without peeing themselves and it's like really, really embarrassing or anytime they sort of get any sort of tension or maybe they land, they're jumping up and down and they're sort of in this, you know, overextended posture, the pressure is just naturally going to go out that outlet and you're always going to have pelvic floor issues. Uh, if you don't just, you don't have to live in that stacked position, but you at least have to acknowledge it, strengthen it and just, you know, that that is where the pelvic floor is going to function best when it is stacked over that diaphragm and is that and i, I love that, that made because, sense. yeah i love that because that i've heard that before i've heard um tony gentlecore speak about the difference between like a sinister or a canister position and a scissor yes. position like, exactly uh, yeah. you're you're upright and you know your chest is high um and, and think, you can do kegels, but at the end of the day, if you don't fix the position, like you can hypertrophy your pelvic floor, but it's still not going to, and then maybe you'll get a bit of improvement because it will be stronger, but it's still just not in a good position. And in terms of getting more clued into that position, getting into that position more, is that, you know, working mostly like interior core, like dead bugs and 
things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So like, and like you said, anything that does that is going to help in theory, right? Like, so my go-to, I guess, to sort of teach that position, I'm a really big fan of Postural Restoration Institute. They have some great breathing drills and they've got the 90-90 hip lift. That's my go-to for just educating people on this position, just teaching them to sort of breathe throughout that position because learning that, spending time in it, learning to breathe throughout that position is going to be a really good way to own that. But then you can take it one step further, all right? So say you've got a female client, you've got some pelvic floor issues, you notice that they've got that sort of overextended uh, lower back, then think about the way you would load their squat, right? If you, if you give them an anterior loaded squat, if they're like this, you put weight in front of them, they're going to shift their center of mass back. That's going to put them back into that nice stacked position. So you can even create situations where you know, because personal training shouldn't all be about not peeing your pants. You want to grow some muscle at the same time, right? But maybe we can get a bit of both there. Like, that's why I'm such a big advocate for zercher squats, front squats, goblet squats. All those things are going to help a female client or any sort of client. I'm sure there's plenty of men having issues with their pelvic floor as well, because a lot of them present with the same postural issue. Um yeah, you can get a thread through it in every single exercises. Maybe you're getting them to do some bench press. If it's a powerlifting style bench press, again, it's not that you don't want to avoid these things completely, but you just have to think about what could be the lingering effects of this. And if you are having someone with those problems, you've got to pay a bit more attention to that stuff. It's amazing. Thanks. No, yeah, definitely. No I feel like we could honestly talk about breathing for literally the whole life. Um, and yeah. for everyone, obviously... Angus being my coach, you are the one who introduced me to, you know, remember you looked at me in our consultation, I said that I have this, you know, I stuck in anterior tilt, excessive lordosis that I have. Um, and it's a case of what you said, Angus, you can't outright fix that. I can't just bring my spine, but I can be aware of it and keep a more stacked position because when I actually looked at myself and focused on my breathing, I was so like this, mm. that it was untrue. And since doing those breathing techniques, which we'll get through to in the live, honestly, like I said this too, my lower back pain is completely fucked off. And I used to wake up in the morning thinking, this is just standard, this is normal. Like, yeah. I went, and it got better a little bit trying to do like back extensions, but there was still no But people do talk about it like it's normal. Everyone tells you that your back's gonna hurt when you're 30. Yeah, and That's crap. Like, I think exactly. that sucks and that people just accept it. Exactly, and I, I can't help but feel there are so many problems that people have now whether it be stressed, the way they move, Ill injuries is down to their breathing. Like, it's just, yeah, it's a real uh, eye-opener. But um, It's yeah. the highest order priorities. Like, your body will do anything to facilitate breathing and walking. If you can't breathe and you can't walk, you die. Your body wants to live. Like, everything comes back to survival. And there's, like, sometimes that seems like a big leap when you're talking about squatting one second and then you're talking about survival, but it's like everything comes back to just certain principles. You've got to have your principles and then everything just has to work around that system. Yeah, no, that's great. No, brilliant. Um, Dale, go bro. It, it kind of links on nicely to what we've kind of just talked about and Crabby, I know you said we were going to get into some techniques and stuff. So for someone who, you know, isn't really aware of the breathing or the breathing techniques, et cetera, um, obviously to get them to start improving their breathing through exercise would be quite tough at first so would you recommend maybe some kind of meditation style techniques to start to be more aware of that and if you would what what would you recommend angus yeah this is something that was pointed out to me by kyle dobbs um more so than meditation have a look at like 
prayer positions uh, from back in the day, right? Like kneeling over, almost in like the fetal position. Um, all positions like that are going to really facilitate like posterior expansion of the rib cage, which a lot of people struggle with. Because again, go back to this posture, it's going to be the back of your rib cage. You're meant to expand in every single direction when you <laughs> inhale in an ideal world. So for a lot of people spending too much time in this position, just stick them in the opposite position and they're going to get a much better experience going through some breathing that and like, I'm just a big fan of nasal breathing. Like a lot of people just sit there breathing through their mouth. Um, that's kind of like sitting there at the lights idling, but you've got your turbocharger running, you know what I mean? So just getting people to acknowledge that they should be breathing through their nose, bit of nasal breathing cardio. And yeah, just honestly get them into the fetal position before or after a workout and just get them to go through some deep breathing. Like just, cause this is the path of least resistance, right? It's so easy to get expansion here. So let's compress there and then get some air in through here because the rib cage just becomes stiff over time because people are sedentary. They don't walk around enough. So obviously back in the day when people were living, you know, a more active lifestyle, this stuff wasn't necessary. But when you stiffen up again, everything just goes part of least resistance. Everyone's just, I think the term like belly breathing and stuff is a bit misconstrued as well because at the end of the day, like your lungs are in your chest cavity. Um, but yeah, in terms of like meditative practice, if that involves nasal breathing, yes. But then what you see with a lot of people when they meditate, they go into that lotus bolt upright posture. So it all comes down to like, there's good and bad meditation practices uh, when it comes to facilitating better breathing mechanics. I think let's, let's maybe what would help as well is if I just talk about like what actually is like perfect breathing mechanics. Well, that sort of like clarifies things because then anything yeah. I guess just comes back to that right like anything that facilitates that so what we want like obviously diaphragm descends smushes your guts down into your pelvic bowl we'll get to what happens down there in a second but in terms of the rib cage we do want chest expansion but what a lot of like people who say their chest breathers actually are it's just rib elevation and like neck elevation when they inhale it's actually not that anterior to posterior expansion. So, because that's what we want. We want the sternum moving forward. We want the back expanding. We want the sides expanding, absolutely everything. And when you look at your clients and when you look at all the clients who are in pain, you'll notice that there's somewhere that they're not expanding. It's usually on the back side of them, but it can be other areas. A lot of people, it's the same with the chest. So just always looking for that 360 degree circumferential uh, expansion and anything that facilitates that uh, is going to be a good thing. And sorry, just to go back to that pelvic floor thing, I kind of just jogged my own memory. There's also like a lot of lower body respiratory mechanics. Like when you inhale, like the pelvis kind of anteriorly orients itself and expands as well. So that's another thing to sort of like look at with that pelvic floor stuff. Um, like exhalation, like hard, forceful exhalation can be like one of the best exercises for that pelvic floor, getting that to ascend and descend properly. Yeah. And that, awesome. um, what, when you're on about the, you know, getting into that kneeling position, amazing exercise <laughs> that I started doing recently is like, we get on all fours, but then you like sit back on your, on your ankles and then yeah, 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 you're so yeah. arched. like that is, I found that amazing because when you breathe like that, you actually feel the breath going right down to your pelvis. Yeah, absolutely. You know? yeah. Whereas you don't feel that when you're just sitting upright. Um, mm. So it's just amazing that 
you're breathing in areas that you didn't even realize that you could breathe into. Yeah, just compression and expansion everywhere and just making sure that everything is moving because it's also like a massage for your body when you get that rib cage moving with your breathing. It's, it's awesome. Your organs love it. Your, your back muscles love it. So um, it's great stuff. I suppose it's just being more aware of what's going on as well. You know, I think I read something the other day and say like 22,000 breaths a day. Um, I don't know if that's right or not. Um, but Me either, but I know it's a lot. I know it's more it's, than steps. It's, it's almost like, um, you know, like going, going to sleep, for example, and putting an importance in that. And people don't put enough of, a, of an importance on actually the things that really matter, you know, and the mm. things that you do all the time. So, for example, spending seven, eight, nine hours in bed each night, you know, have you got a shitty mattress that you've had for eight or nine years or have you got one that's supportive and, yeah. and, and right for you? And I suppose breathing is another one of those things that people just go, oh, well, it just happens. Yeah. yeah, and like to a certain extent, they're right. But it's like, you know, there's, you know, same as I can run. And then you see Usain Bolt run. And it's like, well, it's the same thing, but it's also very, very different when he does it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and even to, the, to, the, to your point regarding sleep, like mouth breathers are always going to have a bit of a tough time getting to sleep because that's just such a parasympathetic, like fight off. That's what you're meant to be doing when you're running away from a lion. I, I don't like going too primal and stuff like that, but that's what it does boil down to back in the day. Like that's why the mouth breathing strategy evolved to get extra air into the system. So you can do like a very intense physical activity. If you sit in there, mouth breathing before you go to bed, your body's like, what are we meant to be doing right now? Like, why do I have all this extra oxygen in my system? Why, why am I di uh, yeah. diverting blood flow away from my digestive system and into my skeletal muscles. Like they're all the things. And it's not like a light switch. Like I think people think, talk about parasympathetic, sympathetic, like you can just flick the switch. It's more of a dimmer knob sort of thing, but just a little bit of nasal breathing just goes such a long way for those stressed out people who have trouble sleeping. Yeah. And ideally throughout the sleep. Yeah. No, and again, being aware, just going to say being aware of doing that. You know, thinking, right, you know what, I'm going to wind down now. I'm, I know now I probably should be going to sleep at 10 o'clock or whatever. Um, what things can I do that are going to help me with that? Yeah, you could regulate your breathing, but I suppose it's doing wind down activities rather than things that are going to heighten your sympathetic yeah. side of the system, right? Absolutely. And like anything stressful, you'll notice you probably just reflexively go back to breathing through your mouth. Like you have an argument with your missus, you're probably going to be breathing through your mouth. So just like, I think any time where you're trying to de-stress, it's just close your mouth, slow the breathing down and prioritize exhalation over inhalation. Cause uh, we talk about aerobic and anaerobic postures as well. Like, you know, just getting yourself back into that again, closer to the fetal position. It's a really, really relaxing position for a reason. Yeah. No, that's, that's where you go when you get hungover. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh. Your body, no, your body's very, very smart. Like it knows what it needs to an extent. <laughs> no, that's an interesting. Plus, plus if you breathe through your nose while you sleep, there's a better chance your partner might smother you in your sleep because of your snoring yeah it's just gross and ugly <laughs> yeah no yeah that's the interesting stat you said that though yeah it's, it's, i heard it was like yeah between 22 and 25 but 20,000 of those 22 to 25 are dysfunctional which is a fucking lot of breasts um and angus i know you're a big fan of uh, i said to the boys actually today david gray i just bought his lower body basics program and yes. he, 
one of the exercises was on that all fours position, focusing on breathing and feeling it up the upper back. So you get that posterior expansion and so good. It's so good. Yeah. You just, you're not used to feeling that. Like it's really weird. I get my clients to do it now and they're like, Oh, I can really feel it. My back. And it's so naughty compared to what you're being told by chest up, shoulders back. It's like, I don't know who started that, but it's the (laughs) biggest crock of shit. Like it's good, a good like powerlifting bench press posture. And it's like maybe an, uh, maybe an all right, like sprinting posture, but I just can't really think what else chest up, shoulders back is like really that useful for. And if you're living in that position, it's uh, a recipe for, yeah. I hate saying, I hate guaranteeing that anything's going to cause pain because guaranteed there'd be someone out there who's just, you know, chest up, shoulders back, feeling fine. Um, yeah. It can't be good for most people. Yeah. And um, yeah, I've got like, one last thing on breathing, to be fair. Like, if you're looking at it from like a cardiovascular perspective, you know, they say that nasal breathing can sort of improve your ability to work at higher intensities for longer because um, of the efficiency of delivery of O2 and the efficiency of getting rid of O2. Because what happens when we mouth breathe, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but there becomes an imbalance of O2 and CO2 in the body when you're doing it. Yeah, so it's not as efficient. Yeah, you actually don't need that much oxygen. Like you don't need to intake that much oxygen. Like you want to be efficient. Um, And again, a lot of people, so the lower part of your lungs, if you have a look at inside a human, the lowest part of the lungs is actually towards the back of your body, like right around where a lot of people are compressed. And that's the bit of your lungs that has the best blood supply. So when you are not compressed back there, you actually don't need to take in as much air because you can oxygenate your system a lot better um just by taking in less air whereas when you compress that bit hard to get air in down there so your body increases the amount of air that you take in so it can get more oxygen enough oxygen into the system but then you just end up with all this excess and um and i think that increases your sensitivity to pain and things like it can have a whole bunch of effects on the system if you really want to learn more about that specifically um zach couples youtube channel is an absolute gold mine yeah. Uh, that guy's what just one of the OGs of like this breathing and walking stuff. Yeah, no, that's brilliant, mate. Um, right, yeah, uh, boys, you got anything else on breathing? Uh, just one more thing. <laughs> um, the the because the nasal breathing kind of cropped something up in my head. So when I was younger, I did boxing, and towards the end of my boxing career, I got like a deviated septum. So I find it ridiculously hard to breathe through my nose. Um, But I noticed, and I never put two and two together back in the day, but when that happened, low back pain started to occur for me. Um, So maybe talk a little bit about, because I know a, a lot of people struggle with low back pain. Is nasal breathing a big you know, factors have a big impact on that lack of nasal breathing, I suppose. Yeah. So I uh, remember before we were talking about lower body respiratory mechanics. As you inhale, there is the pelvis expands and anteriorly orient, orients itself. So you're going to go more into an anterior tilt, which is going to compress the lower back. That's going to happen even if you're breathing correctly. It just happens less. But so if you have to intake more oxygen, you're going to go more into that inhaled posture. So you're gonna further compress your lower back. You fix your nose, you don't have to take in as much air. You don't have to go into as much of an inhaled posture to get the correct amount of air in. 
And again, it's it's back pain is so multifactorial. You can have back pain; it can all be in your head. You can have no mechanical issues. But yeah, absolutely, like uh, mouth breathing can lead to lower back pain. Um, but I know a lot of people who really really do struggle to breathe through their nose. Uh, they've just got like literally bony blockages, deviated septums from all sorts of things. Um, everyone who I know who has had the surgery to straighten out uh, the inside of their sinuses and everything, it's life changing. Uh, so I know it costs a little bit of money because it's, uh, what do they call it? Nominal surgery or a non-essential surgery or whatever. If you, if you have enough money to get it done, get it done. It'll change your life. Yeah, I was actually, it's ridiculous, but I was actually due to get it done in January um, mm. because they told me not to get it done until I had finished doing boxing because the minute yeah. I get punched, it would happen again. And like I finished boxing years ago, but um I was due to get it done in January and then they rang up the week before and cancelled it and I just never got back to to getting it done. Yeah, it so sucks. I really need to really need to get on that. And COVID obviously. Oh man, so. I'm excited for you. Mate, it would feel like someone's put a leaf blower up there. Quality. <laughs> Quality. Um right, yeah. So Dale, anything else? Nothing kind of specifically on that, I don't think. Um, I mean, my other question was surrounding something that you mentioned before uh, at the start, actually, around squatting and stuff. And Krabby's mentioned mm. your kind of, I suppose, individual and rare approach to how you coach a squat. And it sounds like a really basic movement to most people. It's going to the gym like, okay, cool, I'll do a squat. I'll do a back squat, I'll do a goblet squat or or whatever. So, you know, how, how would you approach that, I suppose, with a beginner or with someone who struggles to squat, I'd be interested because Krabby mentioned you have some interesting cues that you kind of coach for a squat. Yes, I'm into... Okay, so let's take powerlifting out of this and we can come back to it later as far as what is good strategy to squat the most weight because you do not, you do not necessarily get your heaviest squat by doing your squattiest squat. You kind of need to deadlift your squat a little bit to recruit <laughs> yeah. more musculature. But as yeah, as far as what I like to see uh, out of just general population who are just trying to move well and maybe grow their legs, I like to see a squatty squat as possible. So to keep the torso inside the elevator shaft and the pelvis just moves down in a straight line. Whatever I can do to facilitate that, whether it means anteriorly loading the squat or elevating the heels are usually the go-to strategies, I'll do that. And then the same goes for my deadlifts, so my hinge movements, let's say. I just want hips to move back in a straight line and not down at all. Okay. Um, but then like, I guess, because what Crab is getting into, because obviously he's developing like a weightlifting, like a high bar squat, uh, it's unrealistic to keep yourself that upright because no one's going to be able to get their knees to travel far forward enough to facilitate that. So it's just about like, Again, staying in that stacked position and just accepting a little bit of forward lean on the way down if you are going to do a back squat. If you want an upright squat, because I think everyone gets told, you know, keep your chest up in a squat, but posteriorly loading a squat and then telling someone to keep their chest up, there's no way to do that without compressing your lower back, yeah. uh, which again, can be fine to lift a bit of weight, but a lot of powerlifters have dicky lower backs and they don't like it when you bring that up. <laughs> I think mo most people, and obviously you mentioned elevating the heels, and normally that's to increase obviously the, the dorsiflexion there for people listening generally just because you've got poor ankle mobility and your heels lift mm. off the floor. Um, and 
you fight but it. But I would say, sorry to cut you off, it's it's not even poor ankle mobility. Like you actually have to have ridiculous ankle mobility to squat well without your heels yeah. elevated. Um, and because at the end of the day, squatting is something we made up. It's not something we're built to do. Like I know everyone talks about squatting being a, a functional movement, but like at the end of the day, you squat to take a shit and maybe smoke a cigarette. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's not this functional movement that it's been hyped up to be. Yeah. No, and that's what, what I was saying to the boys as well. Like it's, it's that standard cue, knees out, chest up. Yeah. But like you're like you're, you're what you sort of how revolutionized my squat was one rib cage stacked on top of the, the pelvis and two knees over like the big toe. Don't worry about a little bit of, you know, as long as it's not yeah. like hugely because you talk about, I think like David Gray talks about it, like the supination pronation of the foot. Um, well, they, they all tie in together, right? Like, so we talked about you need your knees to you need to get your knees forward in a squat. If you push your knees out, they're not going to go forward. Yeah, people think like, oh, knees over toes. Remember, so many people say knees over toes is a bad thing. Like, I remember that was still, well, still people do, but like, you know, but you, your cue was just like knees over the toes, really, and that really, really helped my squat. And now my lower back isn't as loaded. Well, it isn't loaded. When I do like my 110 last week, that felt really fucking yeah. easy, mate. But talk about five years ago when I last did it for a PB, <laughs> it was really fucking awkward and it just really hurt where it wasn't meant to. So, yeah. yeah. No, it's fun, I, isn't it? Because there was a period, there was a period in the industry, and it was pretty much when I first started about 10 years ago, where it was like absolutely frowned upon to allow your knee to travel ahead of your toes or travel forwards. And it was like, you can't do that. And it's like, well, you can't really do what you're asking me to do if that's what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Unless you just like screw something else on your body. Same with like, like a, something, you know, something's going to cost squat, it, right? Yeah. Like a split squat or, you know, that, that kind of movement. It's like, well, actually to get, to get that movement where I need to get it to, I, I need that need to travel forwards. Yeah, definitely. I and think that's, that's, people that's... get scared by the idea of like people always talk about the amount of force going through joints and it's like well you've got to put force through something right and you've got to you know it's just about managing the dose like your as your knees go more forward over your toes absolutely there's more force going through them why is that a bad thing if you're ready for it yeah like it's just you just got to manage it like have you do you guys follow knees over toes guy he's literally yeah, built a career up. off it the guy <laughs> couldn't even jump like so and so off the floor because he couldn't even walk, and now he can like dunk like nobody. <laughs> yeah, he literally spends about three hours a day physically assaulting his patella tendon and his VMOs, and his knees feel amazing. This is <laughs> fucking hell. I think that's why goblet squats and front squats are so They're amazing, amazing because because yeah. they they force you to be knee dominant. Awesome. You know, because a, a squat is a knee-dominant move. So when you have something to the front of you, you have to be knee-dominant. Whereas a back squat, yes. you can actually shoot your hips back first and cause yourself a lot. Like, because I remember doing a lot, like you probably have heard of Mark Ripito. And oh, that was my introduction. That I, I have a soft spot for Ripito, even though he's a bloody goober. Um, he was the first one that told me it was okay to squat more than once a week. So I do have a... Yeah, yeah, but like my back was fucked following that approach. 
His biomechanics is yeah. terrible. Is that yeah. what he's talking about, James? Is that the guy it's, that... Uh, the book is amazing, but the way he teaches the squat is... Oh, yeah. I remember you mentioned that. You're right, though. The second you have a load on your back, whatever it is, if you're in this position here, then you kick your backside out. Before you even yeah. lower yeah. down, you're going to feel your lower back compress, aren't you, and go, oh, that doesn't feel right. And yeah. it's an awesome way to move a lot of weight. It is the, absolutely the way to go to move a lot of weight because, again, you get to recruit more of your posterior chain, but it's becoming less and less of a squat at that point. And going back to uh, James's point before about like why those goblet squats are so good is I, I, it's like constraints-based training. The, the better you are at exercise selection, the less you have to cue and coach your client. And even like just you don't even have to warm people up as much or like doing all this like mobilization before you get them into a back squat it's like if you need to mobilize someone before you get them into a back squat maybe just don't back squat them because they're paying you for 45 minutes they just want to be not fat so just get them squatting as quickly as possible and for a lot of people you just hand them this and be like bend your knees and then they just go into it constraints based training it's it's absolutely the way to go yeah no and um i know i i do have a soft you know i do I have a soft spot for outside of training mobility. You know, I do my cars on a Sunday, but I do feel that most people don't squat poor so bad because of their mobility. They just squat poorly because they don't know how to squat. Yeah, like, or they don't know how to control their center of mass. Yeah, that's it. It's not got anything to do with actual mobility. Even though I feel they really help with joint health and everything, like most people aren't getting the depth. <clears throat> they're not moving properly because they're not, as you say, they're just not doing it right. But the mobility, well, okay, let's talk about mobility because it's like, that's a vague term, right? And the, I, I don't mind the cars and things like that because what are you doing? I, just taking yourself through a full range of motion. Sounds awesome. I, I talk so much shit about static stretching. I still do it. Have a look at all the athletes getting ready for the final of the 100 meters at like Rio, at, at the Olympics. It's like, they're all doing a couple of static stretches and dynamic stretches to get warmed up. It just feels nice. Like there's no need to ruin things for people that like, oh, it doesn't actually do what you think it does. But it's like, you know, same with foam roller. Like I don't think it works. I've had some people that love it. I just let them do it. I want people to feel good. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, and you know what? Personal preference, so underrated these days, like, yeah, yeah. A bit of N equals one. This whole evidence-based movement, it's just like, I love it in some ways because more information is good, but we need to educate trainers on like, you know, what to do with the information. Yeah. It's no, an interesting one, a static stretching, isn't it? Because, I mean, if I've, got, if I've got DOMS, I know that over the course of even 10 minutes after doing some static stretching, it's not really going to help. But if it gives me temporary, temporary relief, and it makes me feel a little bit better, then I'm kind of going to do it. Do you know what I mean? I think that lends to what you were kind of saying there. Like, and I think, Yeah. And I think if you look at the common thread through a lot of these things, it's like, okay, so what are they really doing? A lot of them kind of just get blood moving around your body. And I think that that is the big thing there. It's just like blood flow is the thing that makes things recover well and feel good. So anything you can do to promote blood flow, a bit of moving around, a bit of yoga, it's like, yeah, cool. cool. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, right, yeah, so yeah, moving on to me. So um, one thing that you highlighted when we started, Angus, was um, something to do with the you know, thoracic extension exercises that you see loads of people doing or loads of trainers <clears throat> getting their clients to do. Now, the only reason I sort of, I never overdid it, but I had that in my program to begin with was because Olympic lifting, you know, it does look like it requires that excessive extension. But you made the good point in saying that there is already a slight, 
extension in the thoracic area and that what it is down to is just not people enough flexing but like can you elaborate on that because you said yeah people need to stop doing so much thoracic extension and instead to improve like overhead mobility and all that like yeah what's your views yes uh i think if you have a look at most people who have that like hunched um what's that guy that used to live in the tower hunchback and the hunchback of notre dame yeah they've got that sort of posture (laughs) (laughs) no no sorry cartoon character if you look at that guy because most trainers would probably like hey that guy needs some thoracic extension yeah where does the thoracic spine start the thoracic spine starts where your lowest rib attaches go down and like feel how low your ribs are like especially down the back there those false ribs and like that's where your thoracic spine starts and it's meant to have not a huge kyphotic curve same way as we don't want a huge lumbar lordosis we want a nice lumbar lumbar lordosis and a nice thoracic kyphosis a lot of people who have that really hunched looking upper back they're actually overly extended or overly lordotic in that lower part of their thoracic spine they've got that like um, thoracic lumbar junction there and it's just pushed in and, and if you can just get some shape back there and then in terms of getting your arms overhead and overhead mobility so the big key with overhead mobility we need our shoulder blades to upwardly rotate because obviously for every two degrees that our humerus comes up we need one degree of upward scapular rotation uh, i think it's the first 10 degrees or first 10 to 15 degrees, you actually don't require a scapular upward rotation. But again, we want that nice two to one ratio. And again, if you have a a flat thoracic spine, if you have a look at the shape of a shoulder blade, it's like this small like cup shape and it actually hugs really well to a a slightly kyphotic curve on the thoracic spine. And that's where you get that nice upward rotation. The best examples of this, I would say, is if you have a look at the upper backs of gymnasts and like even have a look at Arnie. Arnie had that thoracic kyphosis going on and Arnie actually had really amazing mobility for a bodybuilder a lot of his poses where he'd managed to sort of like twist his body and stuff like that require that like really really good spinal integrity yeah so you should be able to fully extend your thoracic spine but I don't think it's a good posture to live in and I don't think it's a necessary posture to get your arms over your head yeah And again, a lot of people that have that big hunch, what that is, is again, your body's like, well, I've got to get some posterior expansion somewhere. So it's like, all right, if I can't get any posterior expansion down lower, it's like, I'll just claim it upstairs. Yeah, no, that's great, mate. And, you know, one of the best exercise and, you know, it's obviously everyone's individualized, but I think one of the best exercises that you prescribed me that I did before, but not as much as I do now is uh, the Jefferson curl. Yeah like spine health and all that. Like when you get someone to do a Jefferson curl that's never done one. <laughs> they can't so much. It looks like a sick deadlift. The back's just straight as an arrow. <laughs> yeah. So if you're watching the one, like Angus done a good post this actually on Instagram, but um, go look up a Jefferson curl and um, it's definitely something that, yeah, I think most people should be doing because they just struggle with doing that basically, which is why, you know, loads of people do their backs in. Yeah, and you don't have to go silly with it, right? Like everyone's going to blow out their back if they go for a heavy Jefferson curl, especially if they're not ready for it. It's just like, it's just like going through it nice and light, lots of repetition, things like that. I'm a really, really big advocate of it. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great, mate. Um, James, I know you had another, or Dale, do you have another question, boys? 
Uh, I kind of touch on the shoulder flexion issue because obviously enough, that's a a big issue that clients have. Um, mm. Do you think that maybe? Sorry to keep harping back on the breathing, but no, is no, it no. is it like maybe that they're compensating for poor breathing patterns elsewhere in their back, and that's part of the reason why they're struggling to get, you know, enough shoulder flexion. Yeah, absolutely. But again, it all just leads to like the breathing mechanics we've talked about, how it just facilitates this position. Again, that's, just, again, thoracic spine overextended. Um, even like winging, you know, like winging shoulder blades and things like that. Like you can do all the seated cable row uh, you want in the world. It's just, it's not about getting the scaps to the rib cage. It's about bringing the rib cage to the scaps. If you can get some air into that thing, it's going to come back to the scap and it's just going to have that nice surface to glide along. Cause people talk about shoulder issues and it's like, well, what actually changed about your shoulder? A scap is a scap unless you fucking snap it in half. What changes your rib cage is the thing that changes shape. Yeah. Like that, that's where all the joints are. Scaps just the thing that sits on top of it. Yeah. The rib cage is the dynamic aspect, the dynamic variable. Yeah, one thing I know that you touched on as well is, and I saw this on the David Gray video, is when you lie down and you can actually see, you know, those floating ribs like stick out. Like mine, <laughs> mine were mine are, um, mine were horrendous. Literally, I remember used to look down and thinking, I remember used to think down like, is mine? Am I the only person which with ribs that stick out like this? Like, yeah, it's like rib boobs. People call them. <laughs> <laughs> they literally stuck out further than my chest mate like fuck um yeah. no that's so true um dale mate did you have you asked your two questions or i have yeah um I, I, I will throw one in there though so you mentioned obviously most people's issue is where the ribcage sits and stuff so if you've got someone who is overly kyphotic which a lot of gen pop clients are with yep. your programming and stuff in terms of in the gym, what would you say would be the key exercises to put in to improve that? How much focus would you put on it? Not so much that there are key exercises because it's definitely a few, like a, more so like sensory motor drills that I like just to gain an understanding of what we're trying to do. And then we literally try to replicate that in every single exercise. Um, because again, like if it is, I, I've never seen in my life someone that was overly kyphotic who wasn't compressed down there. So it's about like zercher squats and things like that. And it's just going to get that shape back. And eventually that upper kyphosis will relax a little and still throw some thoracic extension to that part. Like if you want to extend the upper part of their thoracic spine, absolutely. Like that, that is good, right? Because if you can compress the upper part of their thoracic spine, maybe that'll get you a bit more expansion down south. Um, but it's about, so yeah, I would less arching in bench press, a lot more protraction and reaching. So rather than uh, bench press, I'll go for push-ups. Rather than back squats, I'll go for front squats or zercher squats. Uh, what are some other, uh, instead of a Bulgarian split squat, I would go for a front foot elevated split squat. Because again, a lot of people really struggle to maintain that stacked position um in a bulgarian split squat again not that it's a bad exercise and not that it's completely wrong 
to include Bulgarian split squats in the program as someone who's kyphotic, but it's about, it's like, okay, maybe let's not hammer that too much and let's have some other stuff. Let's, let's have another day where we have front foot elevated split squats just to balance that out a little bit. And so I guess when they come in, I'm aggressively biasing that posterior expansion. And then over time in the program, it's like, I'll feed you a few more back squats once your posture is looking a little bit better and things like that. And I'll, I'll let you do some regular deadlifts and I'll let you do some bilateral horizontal rowing. Uh, Cause again, that's another thing I think is a little bit overdone. I, I am a big fan of if you're going to do horizontal rowing, I like it to be unilateral, especially for those people who are quite compressed in that upper back area. Okay. I, so it's, I think it's honestly not much, right? That's the beauty of the thing. It's like, it's not doing heaps of people think when you're getting into breathing and walking and trying to integrate that into training, that there's got to be all this weird stuff with Bosu balls and something that what's that guy on Instagram? Olima Omega. What's his, the he's funny Irish guy. Oh, right? yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to look like that, right? You can have someone just doing a front squat and you're doing their breathing work. It's, it's, it can be so subtle. It doesn't have to be this weird functional guru stuff. I think it all kind of just harps back to what you originally said was just getting that position stacked for everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so many people don't have that and it's just money in the bank. Yeah, because even... Being stuck there, that's a problem too. You also should be able to get into that extended posture. It's just that so many people live in that posture. Yeah, and it kind of... When I see some of the exercises that Krabby does now, it kind of makes sense. Like... There was one day, I think, Krabby, I seen you doing, I think it was a B-stance Zercher RDL. Yeah. That kinda, yeah. And I was like, why is he doing that? And now it makes sense yeah. because an RDL. It makes complete ev- sense. Yeah. Everyone does an arched back and an RDL. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that makes total sense. Yes. Well, and th- so that's another thing I like to get into as well. Sorry to cut you off, James. Um, so many people are so already eccentrically oriented in their hamstrings. They're in an anterior pelvic tilt. Do they need more length in their hamstrings? No. Like they're probably still weak, relatively weak in the lengthened position, but they're even weaker in the shortened position. Everyone, as soon as you get them in hip extension and knee flexion simultaneously, people just instantly cramp up, cramp up. They have no tolerance for that position. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. And this is a good point, James. Like, those Zerkas, absolute life changer. Because I remember when I first did the Zerka split squat, because I'd seen them and never really knew what they were about. Yeah, um, it's such a meme exercise. And you and yeah, Angus, you asked me like, where are you feeling it? I went, well, apart from the legs, obviously the arms, but also the back. And you were like, yeah, because it's a loaded, it's like loaded breathing, isn't it? It's getting that posterior expansion. It was so weird. Because then I thought about it. Um, but I am longing for the day where you give me a bilateral one because, mate, those unilateral ones are fucking killing me. <laughs> yeah, I'm banging out for like a big filthy search squat max out. We'll go through a phase together. But um, honestly, if you're watching this, um, I think they, they are literally a, one of the superior lower body exercises, 100%. No, I've got a real good bias towards them now. Um, and I've got a question, Angus. So um, what are your views on... Aside from aesthetics, because, you know, insecure males with calves, um, from a performance standpoint, what, you know, we, we don't really, when you think about it, it, they connect, obviously, the ankle to the knee. They're, they're the connection. Can you just highlight how important they are? Because I think people don't really see. Yeah. Oh, God. Where do I start with this? <laughs> All right. So anyone who has knee pain, 
right? So many people are like, oh, you need to strengthen your quads, strengthen your hamstrings. What's on the other side? Like the gastroc overlaps the knee. I think it's solely responsible for at least the first 10 to 15 degrees of knee flexion. That actually could be wrong. I'm actually not so sure of that. That sounds kind of... Anyway, it's definitely a knee flexor, right? Um, and even like tibialis anterior, just training that whole lower shin area. It's like, I guess the, it's like the correct question is, why isn't it important? Every muscle is important. Like yeah. whenever someone says calf training isn't important, it's like, why is it different to any other muscle? right like you need it to walk around and stuff like that it does so much to stabilize the knee it does obviously a lot to stabilize the ankle you need to have control of that muscle and like strength in all ranges of motion to access ankle mobility every time your foot strikes at the ground the calf has to do something running even more important to get that nice simultaneous isometric contraction if you've done david gray stuff you'll know how big he is on all those muscles simultaneously contracting to stabilize the knee but so many people it's like their quads their glutes their hamstrings they're so strong from all this weight training and then the calves just end up the weak link you've got to find the weak link always be looking for the weakest link in the chain because that might not be where the pain is but that's probably the cause of it so it's more just down to neglect, right? The pendulum always swings and it's the same as so many people were prescribing exercises that bias posterior compression. And now it seems like I'm just feeding people only anteriorly loaded squats. There'll come a time where it's time for some posterior compression. And it's the same with calf training. It's just about like, you know, what are you neglecting? Always looking for, what are you not doing in your programming? There's all, you can't hit everything. Yeah. You, you yeah. can kind of, but yeah. That's it. You're not saying that everyone's, doing it wrong they're just neglecting a major part of the body just like exactly one of the muscles i remember you you doing one of your videos uh was the adductors like the groins yeah like no like who fucking no one trains them but you know well, people are always stretching it people have like tight um yeah tight groin muscles but again you go back to uh people who are in an anterior pelvic tilt when you are in an anterior pelvic tilt We've got eccentrically oriented hamstrings. We also have eccentrically oriented adductor or groin muscles. So it's like the reason it feels tight is because it's in this stretched out position all the time. The reason you can't get your knees out is because your pelvis is rotated and that's taken all the slack out of it. Tuck your pelvis back under. It will give you a bit of slack. You can actually open up, if you want, open up your hips. Yeah, yeah. just training the concentric orientation or just... And that's, it's a good checklist to go through. Have a look at your body. It's like what muscles are a little too long, yeah. what muscles are a little too short and everywhere. And that can give you so much information on how to bias different sort of uh, strength curves and positions within your training. And I still smash Romanian deadlifts, by the way. And I still, you know, I love a sumo deadlift and things like that. It's just about, you know, sprinkling in a little bit of the opposite. Yeah, that's it. No, that's it. That's what program is all about, mate. That's great um dan and james you got anything else no um i just want to say like some of the stuff is mind-blowing today and it's been i'd say probably the best live we've done so far so i'm um, oh, just really really appreciate it, it angus <laughs> no, no it's i man, i love talking about this stuff because i learned about all this stuff um from guys like david gray jamie smith from melbourne strength culture bill hartman like zach couples and that so I just feel like, like, I feel like I'm an advocate of some new religion. I just got to keep telling people about it. So yeah, I'm just glad I could share it with you guys. 
No, brilliant. And um, if there's any sort of, let's go back to the breathing just quickly. Like what, what exercises would you prescribe for apart from like loaded? Like I know you say walking's a good one, but anything like literally people can do in their house. I know we said like the fetal position, anything else or. Yep. Um, so big one, 1990 hip lift, because again, that integrates all those things we're talking about, because you'll notice in the 1990 hip lift, they also get people to like squeeze things between their knees again. So you tick all those boxes, uh, concentrically orientate all those things that are overly stretched out. Um, yeah, honestly, it all starts with the 1990 hip lift and that's sort of the start of the rabbit hole. And I'll let you guys go from there. Yeah, that's cool. I, I'll just say like, if you're trying that as well, Obviously, try and really focus the amount of people that I get in to do the 90-90 hip lift and they just go like... Yeah, silent like, inhales. Yeah, And it will take you a couple of goes or maybe even like two days to do it, but it becomes more apparent. And one of the questions I got, Angus, from one of my clients was, um, you know, I'm trying to nasal breathe while I run. And sort of my opinion was try and do it outside of running. So it yeah, becomes, yeah, because that's when you're meant to be breathing through your mouth. Like that's the one time. Like right, that's getting chased by the lion. That's like breathe through the mouth, send the blood flow out to the skeletal system. But I also am a fan of nasal breathing sometimes when you're running as an intensity limit limiter. Because too many people they just want to go out and just kill themselves with a run right off the bat. If you make people do nasal breathing cardio, it kind of is a nice little intensity limiter. But yeah, mouth breathing, everything is a tool. Extended posture. I'm not anti-extension. Extension is great. It's a really powerful position for a lot of people. It's just about not living there and knowing when to use it. Same yeah. goes with mouth breathing. It's there yeah. for a reason. Exactly. And it's like Dale said, like being more aware. And I find that if like, you know, when you got me on the bike, so again, again, going back to my program, but you got me on the assault bike doing nasal breathing and it honestly felt like someone shoved oversaw up my nose and it fucking <laughs> crazy. But now I'm doing it it becomes better, it becomes easier. And I'm doing it more often because I'm being mindful of it. And then I'm doing it more in my day. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be easy everyone at the start. It will be very, very alien. Um, yeah. It's cool. Absolutely. Um, right. Angus, I think that's it. Awesome. Thank this awesome questions. Uh, I really enjoyed coming on here. It's a good excuse to drink some beers in a more productive <laughs> yeah. setting than I'm used to. Yeah, just in case you're wondering, we were also keeping tradition as tradition. And nice. uh, anyway, oh, you're on the Australia. That's yeah, boring. <laughs> um, you, you go, you go for the real tough quality beers. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I'm not getting a holiday. I need to feel like I'm in Spain. <laughs> thought you were driving. Thought you were driving to Ibiza in September. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully fingers crossed. No one yeah. can keep you away from that place. Um, <laughs> Angus, mate, we'll definitely get you on in the near future, mate. That was. Um, very informative and I'm sure we'll get uh, a lot of feedback from that and we'll let you know how it goes, bro. Um, yeah, absolutely. I hope it helps some people out and hopefully clarified some breathing stuff for some people because it can be a very, very confusing topic and there's a lot of misinformation out there. 100%. 100%. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in and sorry about the change in time, um, but we couldn't make Angus get up at 4.30 in the morning. So thank you. <laughs> Look, you, you did that for me. I'll get up at 4.30 for your next one. We'll catch you on the end <laughs> of the night out. Um, right. Thank you very much, everyone. Angus. Cheers. Thanks, Angus. Well, guys, what an episode that was. And I'm sure you won't disagree with me saying that that truly did cover an area of unsexy exercises, but they do make the sexy exercises better. And nonetheless, they will be of great importance to improving your health and performance. Massive thank you to Angus 
and I really hope you enjoyed it and took at least one golden nugget away. In fact, I'm sure you took at least three golden nuggets. Thank you and see you next episode. Guys, it's Dale Haley, Do The Work Coach. Just wanted to jump in and say a massive thank you, first of all, to Angus Bradley for joining us all the way from Sydney. Guys, if you did miss it earlier, in terms of following Angus, you can head over to his Instagram page, which is AngusBradley92, where he posts some really good content. Also, a big thank you to Crabby for hosting, and obviously for Irish James as well for coming on board. There will be many more episodes just like this where we have guests on and we are also looking at launching our own podcast as well and there's going to be more news on that coming very soon so guys thank you very much for tuning into this one don't forget i need you very much to head over to apple podcasts and make sure you leave me that five star review um, for the episode that'd be much appreciated and feel free to leave a review on that as well in terms of support for weight loss or anything like that at all you guys are struggling not sure what to do not sure how to get back into the gym where to start etc i am looking to take on clients both face to face and online at the minute so if that's something that you're interested in doing send me a dm with the word results and we can have a little bit of a chat about that just use results so that i know that it's come from this podcast so once again guys thank you very much for tuning in big thanks to angus check him out at angus bradley 92 big thanks to crabby for hosting and also james for coming on as well We'll be back very soon. Take care. Peace out.